Osiris. That's one of the things, too, about I Am The Moon. It's coming at a time also when the female voice is so important right now. You know, you look back when the poem was written in the 12th century, times were not that different for women, especially in that part of the world. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome to Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose, and today my guest is Susan Tedeschi of Tedeschi Trucks Band, which she co-fronts with her husband, also a world-renowned musician and guitar player, Derek Trucks. Susan is a Grammy-winning musician, and her voice is one of my favorites in all of music. And I really enjoyed getting to talk with her about how she found that vocal identity, considering she grew up in the Catholic Church, like myself, and speaking from experience, I can say that it's not the most fertile ground for finding a soulful voice like the one that Susan possesses, but she takes us through a very impressive list of inspirations that helped her find that special sound. And we discuss something that's very exciting, her latest release with Tedeschi Trucks Band called I Am The Moon. And it was such a cool, heady, involved, intentional process. It's a four album, four film series The visuals that accompany all these songs are stunning. They released it in installments over the summer, and it's based on a Persian epic poem by Nazani Ganjavi titled Layla and Majnun. I'm apologizing now for my butchering of some pronunciations later in this conversation, but Susan educated me on so much, and it was really cool to see how they looked outside of Western culture for inspiration, and that the whole creative process that went into this album was a means for her to stay connected with her band, who it's very apparent she loves so much and values personally and professionally. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too, and I can't wait for you to hear this beautiful music. Here is Susan Tedeschi. You didn't pick up a guitar until after college. Is that correct? Well, yeah, actually, I played acoustic guitar, like cowboy chords from age like 13 or 14 until I was about 22. And then I picked up an electric guitar and learned how to actually play the guitar because I was literally only just like cowboy chords. And then one day I literally woke up and was like, had this realization of like 
how to play those same chords everywhere on the neck. And then right. I was like, wait, uh-huh. oh, okay, I get it now. And I can play in different keys. And, you know, so yeah, I didn't really play electric guitar until I was in my twenties and I didn't even take a solo for like two or three years. Once I started really playing, I didn't want to solo until I knew how to really play rhythm behind myself to write. Especially songs. being such a great singer, you probably were intimidated about not playing that solo until you're at least like almost where you are as a singer. Well, also it's always been such a male dominated industry. You know, there's not like a huge amount of women that you're like, oh yeah, I wanted to be who like growing up. I mean, the only women I knew of that played guitar were people like Lita Ford or somebody like Nate Wilson, you know, and Hart, Bonnie Raitt. I mean, Joni Mitchell, like these are women that played guitar, but it was never like, like, oh, they're Jimi Hendrix or they're Eric Clapton or they're, you know, Freddie King or whoever. Like they just weren't in the limelight like that. Like you didn't know a women soloist really, you know, I did learn later that there was sisters at Atharp and people like Memphis Minnie out there doing it, but you just didn't hear about it. So it was kind of a big deal. Like I just thought women should know like they can do this too. And so now it's kind of amazing. Like I see all these young girls, they're just ripping guitar, they're tearing it up, you know? And it's just so great to see. And like, they kick my ass, which is awesome. Like, I just want to see young girls knowing that they can do it and they are. And now with, there's so many tools, like you can get on YouTube and like learn how to play stuff and figure out things. When we were growing up, I didn't even know about guitar players really i only knew about a couple of them like i knew about the allman brothers and i knew you know bb king and john lee hooker but i didn't know about freddie king or otis rush or magic sam or all these people that influenced me later too old you know i love these people like oh i'm 30 and i'm like well you're not too old like you can do it at any age and that's the thing about guitar too it's one of those instruments you can always learn stuff on it nobody ever knows everything on it and most great guitar players will tell you that like they're always learning and they're always finding new chords or new tunings or new whatever and like new ways to approach it and you know derek is a beautiful example of that he's always pushing himself you know, and he's such an incredible guitar player that I'm always learning and watching him. And I, I don't even know what he's doing half the time because he plays an open E. You know, I play standard tuning, but he thinks differently. He thinks outside the box, but he's always expanding on what he's learning too. You know, so it's not like he just, you know, he doesn't just plateau and he pushes all of us, which is good as then we're more creative and we're always learning. Do you think your kids being college age makes it a little easier to tour. It makes it much easier. It was really hard. Honestly, that was the hardest part of being in a band with Derek is that now here, the two of us were gone. 
Whereas I always had the kids with me or I could take off when I had my own band and I could be there for, you know, baseball games or if they needed me there for their birthdays or, you know, to take them to the doctor or something, you know, obviously I toured, but I didn't tour as much as I do with Derek because in this band, we definitely tour a lot and we're very busy touring band because it is such a large band. You have to work more just to kind of keep everyone paid and to keep, you know, to keep it rolling. It's awesome, but it's a lot of work. You know, people think, oh, it's so glamorous. It's like, eh, kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, uh, what everybody does out here, it can be grueling on the body, but you know, we do it because we love it and we do it because it does bring people joy and that's important. And we bring each other joy by doing it. So we're very blessed to have the jobs that we do because, you know, I've worked other jobs. I mean, I worked in the restaurant industry for years. I was a waitress. I was a singing waitress on a boat. A singing waitress. <laughs> yeah. Um, the spirit of Austin, early nineties. And then, you know, I worked in electronic stores. I worked at my parents' video store for years, you know, growing up. So, you know, I've had other jobs and, you know, I just know what it's like to work all the time. And I just feel really blessed that I get to now just do music, you know, and we're always going to keep creating more music. And I do feel like we create and are inspired by the times, you know, definitely things going on around us, as well as diving back into old poetry, <laughs> which is fun and having something like that, you know, kind of a project, but it's easy to draw inspiration from, you know, current events. There's so much going on in this world right now and and a lot of stories to tell. One of the stories of la da it's cool that you incorporated a little bit of your own family experience into those lyrics because it's like my husband and I don't have children yet and we're trying to figure out how to do it, but I feel like what you've done in your career is you just kind of jump in and amazing things have followed. there's no one way to do anything. You know, all you can do is do what your heart leads you to do and do it with passion and, and love what you do. And you get things done. It's, it is amazing how resilient we are and, and how we figure out stuff. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. Derek and I got together. We did everything out of order. We bought a house. Then we got pregnant. We got married in 2001, had Charlie in 2002, had Sophia in 2004. And then started the band in 2010. So we had already been together a good 10 years before we were in a band together. We needed to do that. And it gave us time to both have our solo bands and do our thing and have like a good foundation. And then the two of us together, it's like bringing those two worlds together was great because it, you know, actually it was kind of funny. A lot of our fans met and got married, you know, like, so we have lots of couples that are like, oh, we met at your show or, you know, it's really cute. Oh, that Bring is it. so wonderful. I heard you in an interview on Billboard Soul Sisters podcast. I love those girls. You were the first episode of that whole series. 
And it was what turned me on to that podcast. Your voice. You started in church, Catholic church, like me, where we both were singing kind of like the Hallelujah. Uh, like kind of very proper, boring, Classically, I'll say. Yeah, boring and kind of classical, but. I felt like you were speaking to me because you talked about how sensitive you were as a kid. And I, too, was very sensitive and how our associations with music were kind of mixed up because we were like, why are these conjuring the emotions? And then you got turned on to Mahalia Jackson and, and Aretha and a great aunt of yours. Yes, my aunt Josephine. You have one of the best timbres, like this cool, strong, raspy voice, but you can also be very soft and controlled. Like there's a lot of dimension to your voice. What do you attribute that to? Well, it's a bunch of stuff. I mean, I obviously have many influences, you know, and I feel like when you're finding your voice, it's kind of a compilation of all of the different influences that you've had growing up. So it's anything from like musical theater and like I auditioned for Annie when I was 10 and, you know, and learning to belt and, you know, learning how to control your voice. So I did a lot of theater, musical theater and stuff growing up, but then also it was people like gospel music that really inspired me because it was so spiritual and uplifting and powerful and, and had a lot of the elements that I liked from performing on a stage, you know, and doing shows, but it was real. Like it wasn't put on, you know what I mean? And so I really like being moved and inspired by music and being able to get that across. My tone and stuff, I mean, honestly, when I was younger, it was very pure and very kind of high pitched. And I had a, a higher range when I was younger. Same. Um, and, I could, and I was lucky I could, you know, sing Mariah Carey and sing all these different artists and whatever, and was in like a wedding band and did all that stuff. At the same time, I just didn't have my own voice really. And I realized it was people like Linda Ronstadt and people like Bonnie Raitt, people like Aretha Franklin, Billie Holiday. And then it became more like Etta James and Coco Taylor and a lot of the blues artists that I started to discover. Big Maybell and like all these women that I just didn't know about, you know, Nina Simone, and they all had so much character in their voice. And so I think, you know, it's just a trial and error, you know, just learning about your own voice and like how to control it. But all of my teachers were classical teachers. So I, I actually, all of my voice teachers were opera singers. So my great aunt was an opera singer. I had this woman, Pearl Layton from Norwell, who was my, she was an opera singer and an opera teacher. She taught me and maybe a couple other people who were like rock singers. And then Sharon Brown, when I was at Berkeley, she was an opera singer as well. She was my, my vocal teacher. So all of my vocal teachers were classical opera singers. So I learned how to breathe. So breath is everything. And it's kind of like yoga, you know, it's all about the breath, you know, and once you break your breath, you kind of break a lot of things. You know, I, I don't really know how to describe it other than that. And then I hate to say it, but like, I don't smoke cigarettes, but smoking, Will and Elsa's definitely can give you more wasp in your voice. Um, and, and a little bit more freedom to explore your voice, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. So I attribute some of the raspiness from singing blues and probably smoking too much pot, probably. <laughs> All the names you mentioned, yes, they happen to be women, but they also happen to be the voices that I want to hear all the time, the most. And 
That's probably why I'm so drawn to your voice as well and your music. Well, thank you so much. It's very sweet of you to say. You just released the fourth installment of your most ambitious, most heady project to date, which I'm so glad I get to talk to you about because I have so many questions and trying to wrap my head around it, but I'm the moon, the four album four film series that I want to hear all about the timeline of its conception, but it's absolutely stunning. And I love the visuals that you paired with it as well. I think when I'm making music or listening to music, it's nice to have imagery that goes with it. That's not pulling you away from what the focus should be, which is the music. So congratulations on everything. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We're all very excited that it came out so well and that people are receiving it well. So, And it's been great to play a lot of the new music live, just working on learning all of the songs. But It's absolutely beautiful. You have educated me about a lot of things, a lot of the references that kind of led to this album I was unaware of. So it's been very cool to see you know, how this Persian epic poem influenced a lot of the songwriting. But I want to hear about the whole timeline of this project, because a great article came out today with NPR that sort of condenses it down for the lay person, the people listening. But it says in 2021, they released a double live album showcasing their performance at the Lockin Festival, which was Layla Revisited where you covered Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and other assorted love songs. And then it goes on to say, which is referencing this wonderful epic album you put out, I Am the Moon, that Layla is one of the characters in the epic Persian poem, The Story of Layla and Manjun, a tale of star-crossed lovers that Lord Byron called the Romeo and Juliet of the East. So how did all of these things come together and what's the significance of them to you and then to the collective as a band? Well, so what happened was, you know, we had been on tour obviously in 2020 and in January and February. And then come March, Derek and I actually, our last show was doing a benefit at the beacon and it was for love rocks in New York city. And, you know, we went home on that Friday and it was so strange. We knew the world, had like shut down because there was nobody in Times Square, which is really strange when you're seeing New York City super busy. So we basically went home and didn't know what was going to happen and like the rest of the world. And then we just hunkered down. And then Mike called us about in, I'd say it was April. So probably about like two weeks into the pandemic. And he was like, you know, I had a thought, guys. He had basically listened down to all of the Layla record and kind of looked over all the lyrics and realized, you know, here is this album that we had just kind of covered. And he was thinking, you know, looking at all the lyrics, how they were all very one-sided. It's all very much this one guy that wants this girl and he can't have her, but he wanted to know the rest of the story about Layla. So he said, well, how about if we all kind of just as a, you know, way to keep in touch, all dive into this poem by Nazimi and read about Layla and Majnun and what is their story and like who else is also affected by this story and also what does Layla think you know what about her perspective does she think this guy's crazy or 
you know, whatever. So it was kind of nice to have, you know, him just basically bring it to us and say, hey, you know, like, I think we should all do this and maybe it can bring some inspiration. And then it did. I give Gabe Dixon an A plus on the project because when he wrote I Am the Moon, it was just such the perfect synopsis of kind of like the whole story. And it really is from her perspective, which I just really loved. And, you know, so I was really blown away by that. And then it inspired me to keep writing. And then hearing some of the song ideas that Mike had, like Where Are My Friends and songs like Emmeline and some of these songs that he was writing, it just made me start to think, oh, wow, it doesn't have to be just about from her perspective. It can be, you know, when he wrote Fall In, it almost was like all these other characters in the story, all these other people, you know, kind of characters. And it's sort of like the band in a way too. You know, we have all these different characters in the band and it's just kind of nice to see all the different perspectives of writing, you know, so we have five main writers on this record, Mike Madison, my husband, Derek Trucks, myself, Gabe Dixon and Falcon, who's really Barry Tyler Greenwell, the fourth, our drummer. So really it was the five of us that wrote all of the songs. And so the ones that they had finished, you know, they presented and we learned them. And then other ones that we were writing, we basically just tried to help each other finish songs. You know, it's like, oh, I need a part here. I need this bridge or, you know, can you help me write this? Or so we just sat down and, and worked away and just had all these beautiful songs. And then when we started to go into the studio and record them, which probably was that fall, I'd say fall of 2020 and also early 2021. We started recording them. So we realized, wow, we have a lot of great songs here. And then what do you do? Do you put them all in one thing? And you're like, no, it's too much. Because it wasn't like we have 24 songs and it's easy to just make two records. Because they're all conceptually from the same theme. And then also like, how do we make it so you can kind of digest the music and not be overwhelmed by it? So we decided to make it into four episodes because Derek was really thinking, you know, well, you think about a lot of great records, like some of your favorite records, they're usually 34 to 40 minutes long. And that's a beautiful amount of time. Mike also had suggested his friend, Alex Lambert, who's a filmmaker, and she can film us like we're going to do a photo shoot for the album anyway. So she came and like filmed us doing silly things or whatever, brought in a camel. Why not? Because I love it. It's <laughs> in the Layla and Majnan, you know, Persian idea. And then our friend actually... It's funny, Bradley's here with me right now, but him and his dad were really instrumental in the sequencing of the whole project. Okay, what keys are they in? And like, what's the mode? Is it major? Is it minor? Is it sad? Is it happy? Does it go with this theme? Does it go with that? And like, put them all together in a way that was really beautiful. And when we listened to them, 
in the sequences that he had picked. Everybody in the band loved it. So it was like a no brainer for us. And it really took a lot of weight off of our, our shoulders to know that they fit so beautifully this way. And, you know, it's not like a perfect science or anything, but at the same time, we were so thrilled and that really made it even more evident that it's supposed to be in these like little, you know, morsel amounts to get it and to enjoy it and not be overwhelmed by it. See, it's so fun for me to hear that you kind of had this seed of an idea and then the gravitational pull of that idea made it all make sense. Because from my perspective, when you digest all of this stuff that you've released, in addition to the lock-in performance and just even the symbolism of the tie-ins with Derek and the Dominoes and Layla, you know, what that means with your husband and the significance of Clapton, it seems like every single thing was intentional and thought of before it was executed. But it sounds like a lot of it was just organic. And it's probably because of that collaborative spirit that you have. Yeah. And honestly, there were so many serendipitous things about it. I mean, when we were making the Layla thing with Trey, one of the songs is I Am Yours. And Derek's like, honey, look up and see when that came out. When we looked it up, it came out the day I was born. That's so crazy. So it was really wild. So there's like all these tie-ins. I mean, Derek played with Clapton and was in his band and played a lot of these songs. And then to find out that I was born the actual day that was, you know, tied into that record was kind of wild. And then doing the I Am The Moon project has just been really beautiful because it does seem to have some parallels with that original record in the way, you know, stylistically, like, you know, a lot of rock and roll, a lot of blues, a lot of things like that. But at the same time, you know, we're kind of just like, it shows how we've all been influenced by that record and how that record is a part of us. But at the same time, we created our own story too. I think also because of how welcoming you were to everybody in your camp too. That's probably why it became so much larger than life with, you know, how the presentation of this whole concept ultimately ended up. Well, we're just really happy with how it turned out. And, you know, it was a little ambitious, but at the same time, you know, this band loves to work hard and we're used to that. And so even though it is kind of like a big undertaking, it's not really that far off just because we work hard all the time. We're always practicing, we're always learning stuff. And so it was just really nice to have some new fresh material too. And during the pandemic, really realizing the parallels of her story of, you know, like getting locked away in a tower and being put away yeah. from people, you know, and how we were all feeling like we were locked in a tower, you know, like everybody was dealing with a lot of the same situations, you know, like nobody was around their loved ones and you couldn't hug and kiss people. And the mental health really does deteriorate and you realize how much we need each other. So it was kind of an interesting parallel there as well as, you know, not just the love story, but the whole idea of how much we're all affected by each other. Absolutely. And that it was so important to you to remain engaged with your band. So you had a band book club and... Exactly what it was. I mean, we needed to... And, you know, I really find, you know, just the insight alone with somebody like Mike, he's very intelligent and he's always pushing us. And I find that him and Derek are really great leaders in that way, you know, just to help 
get our minds focused and to keep us in the same headspace when we can't be together is really a brilliant idea. Well, hey, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Susan. I loved speaking with her. But a few weeks ago before we spoke, I was feeling a little overwhelmed because first of all, I'm a huge fan of hers. I've seen her live many times, every time it was exceptional, which made it a little intimidating, but also very exciting. But I was also trying to wrap my head around the sheer scale of this project, I'm Moon. And I felt like I was a little in over my head because I had never heard of Ganjavi's poem, Layla and Majnoon. I was very impressed with the fact that the thread was unbroken from the lock-in performance that they did with Eric Clapton's Layla all the way to the conception of I Am The Moon, which was based on Layla and Majnoon. And it kind of made me feel like, how do I begin to attempt a project like this? And did they have an idea of where everything was going to be when it was all said and done? And in speaking to Susan, it became apparent to me that it wasn't. They didn't know where all the chips were going to fall before they set about doing this, but they are creatives and this was how they were going to stay creative and stay connected with each other. So they just did it. And it made sense because I think that they've been very authentically making music for a long time. So they know how to stay true to themselves. And even in the way that she's speaking about her mastery of guitar, and she didn't say that she was practicing till her fingers bled and studying theory. She just said, I figured out how to play all the chords in different places on the fretboard. And then I started soloing. And I just love the ease with which she dives into these practices that end up yielding amazing results. And I know that she is a very self-possessed person and she has a strong sense of confidence, but there also is just that acceptance of go for it see what happens. And sometimes excellent things will yield from those efforts as we've seen with Susan. So great example to follow by. Looking outside Western culture for inspiration, what is the importance of that to you? Because even in researching this project, I feel like you know, I'm probably not exposing myself to a lot of these literary works and things that I think would benefit me as a songwriter and an artist. Well, that's the thing too. Yeah, we do forget sometimes the huge wealth of artistry out there that you can use as inspiration. You know, it doesn't always have to be music inspiring music. You know, it can be definitely a written word or even just visiting places and learning about cultures and finding the things that we do share in common all over the world. That's one of the things too about I Am The Moon. It's coming at a time also when the female voice is so important right now, especially when people are trying to make laws for us with our own bodies and doing these things. You know, you look back when the poem was written in the 12th century, times were not that different for women, especially in that part of the world. There's still little girls being sold off to be married, you know, so females can survive. I mean, it's really horrible that we're a commodity, that we're bartered and sold and it's absolutely sad. And I hate to say it, but it's really not, we haven't evolved that much. You know, we really come far enough, especially now. I feel like we're taking a step back. Things like Roe versus Wade, you know, people want to have politics and you're not supposed to talk about this and that. 
well, I'm sorry, this is a horrible time to bring babies into the world that aren't wanted, especially when there's an overpopulated planet and there's going to be huge famine because there's not enough food or huge drought, there's not enough water. So it's like, why, if you really cared about somebody, you know, you would want them to have all the beautiful things that we've been given. And why bring people into this world that aren't going to necessarily have that? And who's going to take care of them? You know, so I think it's sad that people try to make laws for other people. It's like, you have to make your own decisions. And I don't think I've ever heard of one woman ever wanting to do that, you know, to have an abortion. Nobody's ever wanted to do that. You know, that's a horrible thing for somebody to have to go through. And, you know, I just feel like the whole Layla Majlan thing, it's kind of funny because women are still in a situation where it's not always up to us and what we want. You know, she wanted to be in love with him and couldn't be with him. That's so sad. You know, it's, you know, why are other people in charge? Just doesn't make sense. But has the difficulty of being a public figure, someone who people look to for inspiration and escape into your music, has what's going on with current events and politics affected your joy of performing or has it given you pause at all? It hasn't affected my joy. If anything, I realize that people need the joy. So I try to be positive and uplifting in our performances. And I try not to be political because I don't want to alienate anybody or make anyone feel bad. And everybody's totally entitled to have their own opinions. I really do believe in that. And I think, you know, that's a beautiful thing about life is that we all have our own decisions we have to make about things. But at the same time, I don't think we should do things to hurt each other. And I do like to preach and get a little bit mad at the end of songs sometimes. And sure, I'll be like, hey, you know, we need to stand up for each other. We need to do a better job. We got to stop shooting each other and start loving each other, you know, because the mental health has gone to shit and we got to do a better job at, at loving and caring about each other and understanding each other and talking to each other. Communication is important. And when you don't communicate, the insane mind can take over. And there's an insane mind and a divine mind. There's the divine mind that, you know, we know naturally when something is right or something is good, you know, and then there's the insane mind, which can take over and it's misinformation and it's like doubt and it's fear. And it's all these things that you, you know, you carry all this burden and you don't, you don't need to, you know, the world has changed. And I do think because of mental health, number one, people are, are scared to go out. Some people are just getting out now. Also, people don't know, like, is COVID always going to be around? Yeah, probably will. And, you know, how do we have to deal with this now? And, you know, how do we learn to trust each other and help each other? And it's very complicated. It's a crazy situation. But at the same time, we're just doing our job. You know, I'm going out and, and trying to write positive songs and tell people, hey, we can do this. You know, we can do it. We can get through this stuff. The world has had pandemics before. They've had ice ages, they've had disasters, you know, natural disasters and all these things. But we do have the power to fix things, you know, and we do as a voice. The people forget we are the ones that have to vote people in to make decisions for us. And it's a big responsibility, but it's important to vote and democracy is important. And if you lose sight of that, you're going to let other people make decisions for you that you're not going to want to be a part Going back of. to Layla. You're going to be Layla in the tower, letting other people speak <laughs> for you. Marrying somebody you don't want to marry. Exactly. Hey!
to think that saying let's stop shooting each other and loving each other would be a controversial thing to say is crazy. <laughs> but it's we're everyone's just policing each other's thoughts so much right now and think the most badass thing you can do is speak your truth. And I just never thought that that would be so revolutionary. Well, it's scary because there is a lot of uncertainty, you know, and there's no safe place anymore. And that's the thing that's terrifying. Can you imagine being a young child and going to school and not wanting to go to school because you're afraid you, you could get shot and killed? Kids didn't like school growing up anyway. They don't right. need to have a reason to fear school. It's supposed to be a safe place. And shame on us for not changing laws and for not making it more difficult for people to get weapons of war on yeah, the street. It's bullshit. They should not be able to have an AR-15 and walk into an elementary school. Shame on our world, okay? Because that is not okay. Or going to a church or going to a supermarket. This is real life stuff and it is scary. And you do have to talk about it because if you don't, it's not going to go away. How are we going to fix it? And I try to fix it through music. I try to fix it through telling people, hey, you know, there's other things that we can focus on. You know, we don't have to focus on all the negative stuff, but we have to address it because it's affecting kids and it's affecting the way that we shape our world, you know, and we don't want to just have it downward spiral into like complete chaos. And man, those algorithms are well-designed to do just that. It's like <laughs> you're way over here and you're way over here. And the meeting in the middle is the art. I think art, which can be a little bit loosely defined, both sides can see things that they love in it, that they can reflect back on themselves or that they can hopefully maybe see some flaws in what they're doing. It just, I think that's what guides people back toward the middle. And that's what gathering physically together at shows and everything after pandemic started to kind of thaw out some of that icy rhetoric that was flying around. I have seen that people at shows do seem to be really happy and dancing and really excited to be around other people. And that's nice because I, I was worried that people would just, I didn't know if they were going to be happy to be around each other anymore, you know, just because they're scared. But I'm glad that people are getting out and they're living their lives and they're trying to get back to normal and they're trying to have fun and they're trying to find some joy and some peace and stuff that we have in common. Find the things that we do share and be thankful for those things, you know? I guess that segues zooming out from the world at large more to your world, which is you are a touring machine. So idle time when the pandemic arrived was probably not very welcome by you, even though you're anticipating that. I loved that. it. I loved you did on the road. Yeah. Well, we got to hang out with our kids more. <laughs> I, I know. think the silver lining was that families actually got to be together, you know, immediate families, and then to really work on each other and to listen to each other and talk to each other and, and really learn about each other. I feel like in our time, we all are so busy that we sometimes forget to slow down and to work on the mental health of your own family. You know, people have a lot of work to do. And I think it was a really beautiful time, like a silver lining to be stuck together at home, you know, and to enjoy each other and be thankful. And also looking at the planet, 
seeing how it cleared up for a minute and how all of a sudden the whales were coming out and like the skies were clear for the first time in China and certain places, you know, it makes you realize like, wow, we have a lot of work to do. And unfortunately, in some ways, I feel like we went back to our old ways and we're just like kind of destructive and, you know, doing all some of the things that we do that are harmful to the planet. But at the same time, I do think it made us take a step back and at least acknowledge it and see that we do have power over it. Therefore, it's like once you realize that you do have the power of change, then we can start to do a better job at fixing some of those things. But it's, it's difficult. You know, people are greedy and people want to have what they want. And it's hard to take something away from people once they have it. You know, that's the difficult thing. But we do have each other and we got to figure out how to, to get along, you know, and, and I don't know, it's a tricky world, but I, I do feel like we're very blessed, um, especially me that I get to play music for a living. So I do feel very blessed that I have that outlet. Well, and you get to do your touring with your husband too, which I think is not for everybody. I work with my husband, he's on my management. So he travels with me everywhere and I love it. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but it allows me to be selfish in my ambition, but also share it with someone else and have kind of the impossible lives colliding where they can both simultaneously exist. You know, Derek and I, we've been through so much, you know, we have toured for years separately and then now together. And I think it's just really about working together, you know, and sacrificing for each other and learning how to coexist and you know, it is hard. You know, we don't really have much of a break from each other, which most couples would probably go insane and can be really tough. But, you know, actually, I feel like we're getting closer. I feel like we're we're learning more about each other and loving each other better than we have in the past, even. Just because we weren't always together, we're like, we're always ships in the night, you know, like at one point he was in the Almond Brothers and Eric Clapton band and his own band. And I had my band and we had two mm-hmm. kids and it was like, four bands and two children. It was insane. So I don't know how I did it, but I do know that work together, figure stuff out, you know, you can do it. But yeah, Derek and I have such a beautiful band and family here that um, it's not just about us. That's very apparent too, when you are able to see you guys live, there's so much love. And then just in knowing a little bit about how you take care of each other and how you invite everyone to be part of the creative process. I mean, that's a really sustainable way to do this and to be able to be out on the road constantly because you're taking your life with you. We're really very blessed. We both know that this is a very special band. I mean, Gabe Dixon and Brandon came to us at a time when we really needed them. And they really changed the dynamic of this band. And it just made us all closer. In a lot of ways, I mean, we're always learning more about each other, not just Derek and I, but each other in the band and what people need and what they want to do. And we're always, you know, looking for input and we're always trying to communicate. And, and it's cool. It's like the horn section has their sound and then like the vocalists, they have their thing. And then like the core of the band has their thing, but we all work together in such a beautiful way. And I think the diversity in the band is important too, for the audience to see, you know, how different we all are. And we're all men and women, and we all come from different backgrounds and religions and races. And 
and how well we can get along. So I think that's also a very positive thing for people to see. And I think that that is cool because it brings people together and it makes people realize none of us are scary. We're all the same. I like to end these conversations by asking what you think the biggest advantage of being a woman is in the industry. You know, in an interesting way, I always had a very special relationship with a lot of the old blues men. Like they really always respected me and treated me with a lot of love and respect. And I do feel like being a woman was to my advantage. It wasn't because like they were hitting on me or anything like that. It was just, I think they found comfort in being around a woman sometimes and they trusted me and they opened up to me and being a woman can make people feel kind of comfortable at times. You know, I had a very special relationship with B.B. King. You know, he was almost like my grandpa in some ways. And I was very close with a lot of other artists like Hubert Sumlin and people like, you know, Little Milton. I think being a woman somehow was to my advantage. You know, it, it made me stand out. I wasn't just another guy playing guitar and singing. Because I was a woman and it was so rare to do what I was doing at the time, you know, in my young 20s, you know, I was in my own solo band with Adrian Hayes and little Annie Rains. The three of us being in our 20s and playing blues was really unique. And I think being a woman actually came to our advantage at that point because nobody had ever seen three young white women playing waters and all that kind of stuff and keeping music alive, trying to keep it going and let people know, you know, this is American folk music. And so I do think that women do have a lot of beautiful things that we can offer as friends and listeners. And, you know, we have a lot that we do for this world. One thing I have noticed traveling around the world is that the world would not run without women. I mean, women do so much. I mean, of course, men do too, but I'm just saying women, I think people take it for granted how much women do. Amen. And I think it's an incredible gift to be a woman and get to do what I do and to be a mom and to be out there in the world. And there's um, a lot of potential for women if you know how to just believe in yourself and go for your dreams. You can manifest them. You can make it happen. And women find a way to do it and get it done. You know, they just do Well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Susan Tedeschi. Make sure to give her a follow at Susan Tedeschi Trucks and give Tedeschi Trucks Band a follow at Derek and Susan. You can find all of their tour dates at TedeschiTrucksBand.com. They're about to go on a stellar European tour. They just finished a bunch of shows at the Beacon Theater in New York City, which I'm sure was epic. And do yourself a favor 
go listen to I Am The Moon, all four parts of it, and watch those visuals that accompany this beautiful music. You will not be disappointed. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Cluthy, with production assistance from Grace Romer and Kip Young. Edited by Justin Thomas of Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose, show logo by Premier Music Group, graphics by Catherine Boyles and Mark Dowd. Thank you so much for listening and to close out the show from Tedeschi Trucks Band, I Am The Moon Is Here My Dear. Keeps on time.
Osiris. <laughs> <laughs>